Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome to another edition of 1111 Talk Radio. It is always a pleasure to be with you. I am really excited because I am at a countdown time. My new book releases in seven days, and I'm quite excited because I believe that we are all incredibly creative beings, and we are here to unleash that creative power on the planet in whatever way lights us up. And so today's conversation was particularly interesting to me because I think that our artistic ability, our creative ability is truly of our essence. And when we mix that with many of the issues and the causes and the things that that tug at our hearts in the world, all of a sudden we create a completely different kind of impact. My guest, Stephen Duncombe, says, artistic activism is a hybrid practice that marries the creative force of art to the concrete results of activism. Common definitions of art and activism are often restrictive. Instead of perpetuating an idea of artists as separate magical beings, artistic activism allows us to cultivate the creativity we already have. Even those of us who don't define ourselves as artists have a familiarity with the comfort with the creativity, arts, and culture that we often don't have with politics. We make playlists of our favorite music, sing songs at church, upload videos we've made from YouTube, assemble scrapbooks with our friends, invent new cuisines from our leftovers, and watch TV dramas or read novels before we go to bed. I'm not political is a phrase one hears often, but it's a rare person who doesn't identify with some form of creativity. We are all creative. This is from the book, The Art of Activism, Your All-Purpose Guide to Making the Impossible Possible. It is from the founders of the Center of Artistic Activism, Steve Duncombe and Steve Lambert. And they also created an Art of Activism workbook, An All-Purpose Guide to Making the Impossible Possible, that really takes you step-by-step through the creative practice, as well as what that means in terms of activism. Uh, I'd like to welcome Stephen Duncombe to 1111 Talk Radio. He is a lifelong activist, co-founding a community group in New York City recognized for its creative approach to organizing, an award-winning professor at New York University. Stephen has published six books and countless articles on culture and politics, most notably Dream or Nightmare, Politics in an Age of Fantasy. Welcome, Stephen, to 1111 Talk Radio. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This is a really interesting conversation because I'm always quite intrigued by individuals who are able to take really polarized issues or things that really mean something to them, and they're able to present it in an artistic form. Um, and, and it seems like only certain people have that leaning to be able to think in that way or to do that sort of thing. Is this something that we all have inside of us and it just depends on the right passion and cultivating the artistic creativity? Or is it a certain type of person that becomes the uh, artistic activist? Um, I think it's definitely the former. I mean, there's no doubt that some people are, say, more creative in 
recognizable artistic outlets. My son, for example, is a much better guitar player than I ever was, even though I used to play guitar. He's just uniquely skilled at it and uniquely talented at it. Yet we all have some sort of creativity. Um, that section that you read, I think, alludes to that notion that if we broaden our notion of what is art and what is creativity, then we can locate creativity in pretty much you know, all aspects of our everyday life. I think the problem is that both art and activism um, are scary terms. Uh, you know, they, the big capital A art or the big capital A activism, it's only, you know, very talented, special, ethereal people who can do art or super committed, self-righteous people who do activism. And the reality is, is that arts and activism can be thought of in terms of our everyday practice. And when we do separate it out from our everyday lives, our everyday practices, it becomes... We become alienated from it. It becomes something other people do, professionals do. And what we're trying to do in this book, both Steve and myself, is kind of bring that back to um, bring it back to the possession of every people. Because I think that's what is powerful about arts and activism is that it is within the possession of everyday people. And we've worked with people all around the world really trying to unlock their creativity so they can bring about the social change they want. In many of the sacred texts, uh, it is written about a type of person which is called the spiritual rebel. And the spiritual rebel believes that there really is nothing wrong in the world, there's nothing wrong inside of ourselves, that truly if we just dove into our creativity, that that is what would come up with the solutions or the healings or the change in the world that we need to see. And as I read your book and as I went through all of that and particularly tapped into some of the emotion that goes behind many of the artistic activist type of creations, it's almost as if the, the cause or the fuel or the emotion is channeled into that creativity in a way that it impacts people on a deeper level rather than just rising, getting people's emotions to rise up and be on fire about certain issues. It's almost as if it takes them to an even deeper level of emotion if they're willing to be with the peace that's been created or really stop and be with their emotions. Talk a little bit about that emotional connectivity that sometimes can make an even bigger impact. Sure. Um, so I was uh, an activist since I was about 16 or 17 years old. And the sort of activism I was schooled in was very much a sort of just the facts, ma'am, um, type of activism, which is if we could just present the truth to people and as many you know lines of truth we could and usually as small a font as we could on our pamphlets that people would naturally agree with us um and i always like to think of hans christian anderson's story of the 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 um the king who wore, the emperor who wore no clothes as a kind of an example of this way of thinking which is if people could just find out the truth the emperor is not really wearing clothes, then the scales would fall from their eyes and sure enough, everybody would live happily ever after. And I think that's kind of a model that a lot of activists operate under, which is what I think of as sort of the enlightenment truth model. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is as I became a more experienced activist, and you can ask any experienced activist this, is they'll say that that's not how people become active. 
um, they become active because they feel the need to become active. They're either um, enraged by some injustice or inspired by some sort of hope. Then they might read the facts, then they might change their minds, but it really starts with that sort of emotional pull. Now, this is a problem if you're an activist, because so much of what we've been trained to do is, you know, knock on doors and tell people, you know, the facts about things or have them read our pamphlets or white papers or what have you. But there is a communications medium that's about 40,000 years old, which actually puts these emotions front and center. And, you know, it's art. And so I came to the embrace of the arts really out of my frustration with the sort of activism that I was doing and the realization that I myself had become politically involved because I felt things and I felt something. Um, And so I became interested in using the arts as sort of a medium through which to broach politics. Now, bring it back to Hans Christian Andersen for a second. What's really interesting about that emperor wears no clothes is that Hans Christian Andersen makes a compelling argument about the power of the truth, but he does it through an entertaining story. And I think we shouldn't overlook that, that he himself understood that if he wants to make this point, he's got to wrap it up in a narrative. And I think that we have become a society that is very much built on stories because stories do tend to be the place that touches the heart. But then to take that story and create a piece of art in a way that it can sit there and tell the story without, uh, without someone else verbalizing, where it's invoking something from another individual to feel into where they are around that particular subject matter. All of a sudden, it leaves a much wider terrain as to uh, what can be experienced or expressed and, and what then the, the next cause or inspired action will be within that person. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we're really interested in when we work with artists and activists around the world is getting people to think about who they're trying to communicate with. Um, We have this romantic myth of the artist, that the artist is this tortured individual who sits up in the garret and just produces for themselves. But art actually is a form of communication. It's a really rich form of communication, as you pointed out, that doesn't just have a sort of a singular message and doesn't just touch people in one way, but touches them in a multiplicity of ways. Yet still, we have to think about our audiences. Um, It does no good to produce a piece of work if you're interested in social change which is might be absolutely brilliant, yet the people that you're trying to change, the people you're trying to touch, are not touched by it. And so part of the art of the art of activism is really experimenting around with forms of expression, forms of activism, forms of engagement that move people at a multiplicity of levels. Now, when when you came together, the two Steves came together to write mm-hmm. this book, in inside... You, you talked about you coming from this activist background, and Steve came more from the, uh, Steve Lambert came more from the artistic background, but you each had your own kind of paradoxical question when mm-hmm. it came to how to impact people with what you were trying to do. Where did those threads cross? Where did you find a meeting place? Well, we literally found a meeting place in Union Square in New York City about 
14 years ago <laughs> when we ran into one another at a demonstration. And Steve had known some friends of mine um, and had heard about a book that I had written, um, that dream or nightmare book that you had mentioned earlier. And um, we just started talking. We really hit it off. And I think we hit it off because we were noticing the same problem but coming at it from very, very different directions. Um, as I said before, the problem I noticed was that I was producing you know, activist interventions that I myself was not moved by, that I didn't even want to take part in. Um, and Steve, as an artist you know, living out in San Francisco, was part of this very vibrant artistic scene who was doing all this sort of cutting edge and um, creative work yet speaking to the same 12 people who would show up at the galleries again and again and again. And so there was no impact that was happening from all this sort of creative expression. And so we really thought that each other might have the answer. Um, and what we found out quite rapidly is neither of us did, um, but we did have the same questions. And so the first thing we did before we started the center, before we started our training programs, before we started our campaigns, was we went around and we interviewed a lot of folks that we had noticed mixing arts and activism. And we just asked them, what are you doing? Why are you doing it this way? And how do you know if it works? And that really launched us off on this, you know, putting together, um, a perspective's not the right word, putting a training program's not the right word, putting together sort of an approach to activism and an approach to art that we ourselves didn't create but we drew from those people around us that were doing all this innovative stuff. And also we drew from artists and activists throughout history. Um, and we go back a couple thousand years when we're talking about history um, that have been wedding the sort of political concerns and aesthetic approaches. Jorge Luis Borges summarized at the end of his life, the task of art is to transform what is continuously happening to us, to transform all these things into symbols, into music, into something which can last in man's memory. Art allows us to say things that can't be said, to give form to abstract feelings and ideas and present them in such ways that they can be communicated with others. Poetry is the way we help give name to the nameless so it can be thought, writes Audre Lorde, the feminist yeah. writer and civil rights activist. She, uh, throughout the book, there are a lot of amazing uh, images, wonderful writings, and a beautiful guide, both in the workbook and in the full book of The Art of Activism. You can find out more about Steve Duncombe and Steve Lambert by going to their website, c4aa.org. That's the letter C, the number 4, aa.org. Again, Steve Duncombe is a lifelong activist, co-founding a community group in New York City recognized for its creative approach to organizing. An award-winning professor at New York University, Duncombe has published six books and countless articles on culture and politics, most notably Dream or Nightmare, Politics in an Age of Fantasy. Steve Lambert is an internationally recognized artist whose public projects have appeared around the world in four documentary films, over two dozen books, and in Times Square. He has worked alongside the Yes Men and Greenpeace and is a professor at Purchase College, the State University of New York's Public Arts College. The Center for Artistic Activism was co-founded by Steve and Steve out of a desire to learn and share what works. For more than a decade, the center has trained thousands of activists and artists 
across the world how to use their creativity to impact power. Working with sex workers in South Africa and trans right organizers in Eastern Europe, dissident artists in Russia, and art students in public high schools in New York City, Iraq, and Afghanistan, war veterans in Chicago, and immigration activists in San Antonio, as well as many others, they've experienced firsthand how artistic activism can change the world. The expertise they've gained and lessons they've learned collaborating on real-world campaigns are distilled here in the art of activism. Again, that website is c4aa.org. That's c4aa.org. We'll be right back with more of Steve Duncombe and the art of activism right after these messages. want more more joy more abundance more power and presence how would it feel to have more loving relationships more empowered community greater fulfillment and life purpose the 1111 mastermind community inspires empowers guides and supports transformation shift your mind expand your heart deepen insights let go and chart a new course dream a new dream the 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And BetterHelp and 1111 Talk Radio listeners want to uh, provide you 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash 11, spell out the word 11. We talk about BetterHelp a lot on this show, and this month we're discussing some of the stigmas around mental health. It was really deeply sad to hear about Chelsea Christ 
and the suicide uh, that took place. And mental health is nothing to play with. It is time that we really check in on different people in our lives and that we check in on ourselves and get the support that is required. For example, some people think you should wait until you hit rock bottom to go to therapy, but that isn't true. Therapy is a tool to utilize before things get worse, and it can help you avoid those lows. Many people think if you're in therapy, it means something's wrong with you, but that's wrong too. It means you recognize that all humans have emotions. We can't avoid them, so we need to learn to manage them. Again, Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Again, you can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash 11. Spell out the word 11. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash 11. And we've been taught that mental health shouldn't be a part of normal life which is also wrong. We take care of our bodies with the gym, the doctor, and nutrition. We should be focusing on our minds just as much as we focus on the body. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Again, it's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you'll be matched with someone in under 48 hours. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash 11 today and get started in taking care of your mental health. Another one of my sponsors and partners has, is Athletic Greens, and I love this product. I literally use it every single day. I didn't have time to always get everything that I needed first thing in the morning, and this has made it so easy to improve my gut, to have more energy, to optimize my immune system. I'm not really one that likes to take pills and vitamins, and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. I wanted to see what the hype was about. So I started trying Athletic Greens, and I've been on it now for the last month, and I absolutely love it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It doesn't even taste like greens. It has kind of a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to each morning. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging. AG1 is something to incorporate into your lifestyle because it makes it easier. It provides you the right type of coating in your stomach to take in all the nutrients and vitamins of the food that you take in throughout the day. It's so wonderful that I've recommended it to many of my friends and family. And it costs you less than $3 a day, so you're investing in your health. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. The founder actually created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on his own. It was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine that cost him $100 a day. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills or supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free 
free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash 11, spell out the word 11. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash 11 to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I know you're going to love it as much as I do. It's a lifestyle-friendly choice, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. Get started today. My guest today is Stephen Duncombe, and we are talking about the art of activism, your all-purpose guide to making the impossible possible. Culture is the raw material of artistic activism. If you are a legal activist, then law is the material with which you work. If you're a sculptor, your media might be stone, wood, metal, or plastic. As artistic activists, culture is the stuff we mine and the resource with which we build. Culture is also what we create through our actions, performances, protests, and other demonstrations in order to communicate our messages and meanings to others. But culture is complicated. It's a word so commonly used that it's hard to nail down exactly what it is. This slipperiness is not a problem in day-to-day use, but because it is the fundamental building block of artistic activist practice, here we need to be more rigorous and to define what we mean when we use the word culture. You can find out more about Stephen Duncombe, Stephen Lambert, and the work that they do at the Center for Artistic Activism by going to c4aa.org. That website is also in the bio description on the show page. Steve, let's talk a little bit about culture. It is a slippery place and and culture can mean so many things to different people and it can impact us in such different ways in terms of the lens that we look through when we are wanting to create something or we're wanting to react and respond to something. Talk a little bit about needing to be more rigorous in defining what we mean by culture. Sure. Um, As you said, you know, it's, it's a culture is a word we just kind of throw around. Um, but it has a multiplicity of meanings. The, the, the two primary meanings which are important for artistic activism is something we like to call big C culture. And that is things like art and representation, um, a novel, a movie, a sculpture, what have you. But it's the thing, the manifestation of our ideas and ideals. But culture, as say an anthropologist might understand it, or what following Stuart Hall, we call little c culture, is really the patterns of everyday life, the things that determine, shape how we go through our world, how we make sense of our lives, and what we determine is the right thing to do. It's sort of the embedded patterns of life. And these two things are interconnected. Um, Big C culture, arts, Um, comes out of our everyday experiences, but also how we end up framing our everyday experiences, learning our everyday experiences, is through these artistic representations. Um, The simplest one would be, you know, how do we understand what is beautiful? Well, one of the ways we understand how is beautiful is how beauty is presented to us. And then we go through our lives aspiring to that beauty or rejecting that stereotypical norms of beauty, but still nonetheless framed by that. Now, what does this have to do with artistic activism? What artistic activists do is they really insert themselves in this cycle. That is, is what artistic activists do is they kind of notice what's happening 
in everyday life, that little C culture, and then give it aesthetic form so it can be observed and represented through their interventions. Um, and then through those interventions, they hope to impact little C culture again. So here's an example, say a community mural. Um, what an artistic activist might do is they might go into a community, work with the members of that community, talk to them about what their hopes and aspirations are, and then actually create a whole big mural on the side of a wall about those hopes and aspirations. That's going from little C culture to big C culture. But the impact of that big C culture, that mural, is it hopes to inspire people to reflect upon their lives, what they love about their lives, what they love about their community, and also those things that they want to change about their community. It gives visions of the future um, of a world that can just be seen in art and then later manifested in the real world. And so those kind of two levels of culture are important. Now, what's really important about culture is that there is no one uniform culture. We like to say we all have culture, but we all have different cultures. And so we work around the world. Um, we work, done a lot of work in the past three years in the Western Balkans and in West Africa. But we've worked in Russia. We've worked in Texas. We just did a series of trainings in East Asia. And one of the things that's very clear is what resonates with people in South Africa doesn't necessarily resonate with people in South Carolina. Um, people have different signs, symbols, stories and sort of uh, spectacles which work for them. And so the key about being a good artistic activist is always working within the culture of that place where you're actually working as an activist artist. Um, you can't export this stuff. And I think that's the biggest mistake that often happens is, well, we did this in New York. It worked really well. Let's go to Newcastle and do the same thing. Well, it won't work there. It just won't work because the signs, symbols, and stories, they resonate differently. Is that what you mean? There's a line in the book where you write, one of the biggest mistakes an artist can make is to fool themselves into thinking they can create outside of culture. Is yes. that what you're talking about? That actually, interestingly enough, we we're talking about something slightly different there, but I like that you're <laughs> applying it to this because it works right there. What we were talking about at that point is the notion that we are all inscribed in our culture. Um, there's an anthropologist, Clifford Geertz, who once defined culture as those webs that we weave around ourselves that we ourselves are entrapped by. That's a paraphrase. And the mistake is to think you can ever get outside of it. Now, what we can do, however, is through things like meditation, things like drugs, things like dreams, things like, um, you know, artistic practices, we can step outside just a little bit in order to imagine a glimpse of a world outside of the norms of the culture we live in today. Just a glimpse, but we can still do it. And this is the subtitle of our book is Your All-Purpose Guide to Making the Impossible Possible. And so one of the things that we try to do both in the book, um, but also in our practice, is get people to imagine the impossible. Um, a while back, you quoted Audre Lorde, the great Audre Lorde, about the fact that she that it's through art and poetry and dreams 
that she can actually escape the present that she's in. She just gets the glimpse of that world outside. So one of the things that we do when we work people is we're constantly trying to get them to imagine the impossible. So we'll often do an exercise, for example, we'll make people come up with 10 tactics, creative tactics to achieve an objective. And they're like, okay, we can do this. And then we say, okay, here's the trick though. You only have 10 minutes to do that. And the first seven tactics have to be impossible, which means we cannot do it for purposes of time, money, laws of physics, or what have you. And what's wonderful about that is given those limitations of both time and practicality, people come up with all sorts of incredibly inventive ways of approaching problems. Now, if we just stopped there, we'd stay in the dream world. But then what we do is for the next half hour, we'll go around the room and ask people, okay, so here's this impossible idea. How would we make it possible? And it's by going way outside, as far outside of our culture as we can, and then bringing it back into making it something practical that we get really creative ways of approaching old problems. In in the section where you wrote about the impossible possible, you, you write that we're, the artist is never really alone, that they're always surrounded by culture, and that mm-hmm. there never is anything that really is new or unique or absolutely that they're of their own because they have that cultural influence that is going to seep into whatever they're thinking or creating at that time. So how does that, how do we reach the impossible if we are always still in the purview of what we've known? Right. Well, it's a bit of a trick, isn't it? Um, it, We can never really reach the impossible because if we were able to reach the impossible, we wouldn't understand it. Um, insofar as we can only understand those things within the contours of the world that we already inhabit, right? But we can stretch it, okay? And this is what, for example, the Surrealists did, is that they used things like dream and automatic writing and what have you to get as far outside as they could. But the trick with good artistic activism is, is you want to surprise, that is, you want to shake our ideas of the normal. Yet if it's so far out of the normal, it becomes illegible. And then people can't understand it. And that's the worst of the avant-garde, right? It's become so obscure that only people with PhDs who have studied history of art understand it. And even then, they probably don't. On the other hand, if it stays firmly within the cultural confines that we know, then it's not surprising. And then people ignore it. So if a protest looks like a protest, um, people on the street signs, chants, so on and so, so forth. Well, if you agree with what the people are protesting, eh, You'll probably go along with it. If you don't agree, you automatically reject it. And for most people, it's just like, oh, a protest. I'm not political. I don't care. But if you can make a protest look like a party, then all of a sudden, those people who agree probably will still agree. Those people who don't agree or don't know what it is might suspend their either distaste or their immediate sort of, ah, I don't, you know, I'm not political. Um, for enough time that you can open them up to a new way of seeing things and doing things. And this I learned actually through my experience with this group called Reclaim the Streets, which came out of London um, and in the 90s. And what they did is they combined rave culture and political protest and created these protests that looked like parties. And what was fabulous about them is that they were really, really fun to go to, one. But two, because they didn't look like protests, they brought in a whole bunch of people who normally would have never stepped foot in a protest. And it's that sort of 
you know, art that doesn't look like art, politics that doesn't look like politics, creates this sort of space that's always within culture, but enough outside that it jogs ourselves um, into thinking new ways and perhaps embracing things that would have been too scary otherwise. To be an artistic activist, it helps to have a creative habitat. This habitat is a place where we can cultivate, grow, and replenish our creativity for the rest of our lives. A list of things to think about when you're making a creative habitat would be how some may work and some may not. What's important is understanding the concept and adapting it for your needs. In the end, do what works. Find a space. Carve out time. Create a routine. Turn down the pressure. And move more into bringing in the love. This is all from the book, The Art of Activism, Your All-Purpose Guide to Making the Impossible Possible, from the founders of the Center for Artistic Activism, Steve Duncombe and Steve Lambert. You can find out more about their work by going to c4aa.org. That's the letter C, number 4, aa.org. We'll be right back after these messages. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. 
Drawing on pop culture, mainstream marketing, cultural studies, and cognitive science, the art of activism sets out the ideas that underpin successful political intervention, and it presents a range of fascinating case studies, from the United Farm Workers boycott movement in 60s California to a canal-side beach in present-day St. Petersburg, that show how those ideas can be put into practice. If you want to flex your creative imagination and hone your political tactics in pursuit of a fairer world, look no further The answer can be in your hands. You can pick up your copy of The Art of Activism, your all-purpose guide to making the impossible possible, and also get The Art of Activism workbook so that you have the step-by-step guide to help your artistic activism unfold. Steve, when I was going through, it was really a couple of interesting things that I want to mention, and one was that so much artistic activism seems to come from the marginalized. It has... um, seems to have most of its roots uh, in those types of of peoples and those types of um, repressed cultures. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, If you think about it, it makes sense. Um, Folks who have been on the outside, whether they're outside because of their race, because of their gender, because of their sexual orientation, because of their class, they don't have access to other ways of expressing themselves politically. Um, They don't have the training to become legal advocates. They don't have the connections to become politicians. Um, They may not have the education to become, you know, teachers or writers for newspapers. But what they do have is they have access to their creative life. That's cheap. That's free. Okay. Um, And so what you often find is that the folks who are most drawn to these artistic forms of activism and are the most skilled at these artistic forms of activism are those who are the most marginalized, young people, for example, um, you know, uh, or people of color or queer folks. Um, and again, you know, just look at American pop culture. What would American culture, pop culture be without the contribution of, say, African-Americans or queer folks or young people? Um, you know, we'd be stuck with Lawrence Welk. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's no surprise. But it makes artistic activism a great tool um, because it doesn't have those um, barriers to entry that other forms of activism might have. And so, for example, one of the projects we're working on right now is to create a high school curriculum um, for high school teachers, because we firmly believe that, you know, high schoolers love culture. They express themselves in culture. I have two sons, one who's 16 and 18, and they live in a world of music and memes and short videos and so on and so forth. Why not put that creativity to work, right? They also care a lot about the world, but they're turned off from regular politicians. Um, and so tapping into that cultural reservoir is super important. Probably my favorite example of this is um, from Senegal, and it's these uh, two rappers, um, Human and KT, who noticed that politics was super important in Senegal, and young people were 60% of the population of the country, yet young people were incredibly turned off from politics, because what politics meant in Senegal was professional politicians who were lining their pockets. Um, So the young people didn't read newspapers. They didn't trust the news. And so what these two folks did is they actually do serious newscasts about the region and about the continent of Africa and even world news, but they do it through rap. 
and they do a segment in French, and then they do a segment in Wolof, which is the dominant tribal language of the region. And it's incredibly popular with young people because it speaks in a language that's their own. And that's what art of activism tries to do is create people the tools so they can actually speak in languages of their own to people in their own language. There's there's much in the book about the seriousness because oftentimes the you know, activism is going to deal with really really serious issues that are uh, very heartbreaking or heartfelt to the individuals that are creating the art. But then you also speak to there needs to be a level of humor and playfulness that 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 creativity has to thrive in those respects to be able to uh, express in a way that can touch other people. That almost seems paradoxical, yet. Both need to kind of work hand in hand to actually create the impact. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a good example. Um, here, come back to me with that. <laughs> My mind just, I had an example and it just went straight out. No problem at all. Um, one other thing I wanted to bring up was in regards to artists, so often it looks like artists are speaking and trying to put their voice out into the world in some sort of way. But I don't know that people realize the degree of listening that has to take place yes. first yes. to be able to even tap into that voice and what to say. Yeah, I think, and I think you, you put your finger on the two sides of it. Now I've gotten, is that one is that activists are trained to be super serious, okay? Which totally makes sense. Um, the issues we're dealing with as activists are often life and death issues. Yet at the same time, having that level of seriousness can translate into a sort of a humorlessness, which has an impact on both the people you're trying to reach, but also on yourself. And one of the things that we found about sort of bringing creativity into an activist practice is it not only makes it more attractive to folks on the outside, but it also rejuvenates the activists themselves. Artists, on the other hand, um, you know, they know they know how to play. They know how to play very well, but sometimes they just play with themselves. Um, and so one of the things that we work with artists is learning how to listen. Because artists are trained to, I've got an idea, I'm going to go out and express it. Well, that's important. Um, and if you're, again, just producing art for yourself, that's fine. But when you're producing art to change the world, it really becomes really important to listen to those around you and to see how they see the world and how they understand the world. Now, in the end, your creativity is going to be your own. There's no doubt about that. But understanding where people are coming from and how they're seeing the world. And again, those signs, symbols, and stories they use to interpret the world ends up making for much more communicative, and therefore much more impactful art. Now, with so many people out there and so many issues and, and trying to get the voice out or the creativity out, there's so much art and activism that actually fails. Why is that? <laughs> well, first of all, I'd say most art and activism fails. <laughs> Certainly most art and activism I've been part of fails. Um, I think, you know, one of the things, the power of using arts and activism is it's like a risky bet, okay? Um, which is if you go and knock on people's doors and campaign for an issue, you're guaranteed a certain level of success. It's probably going to be a relatively low level of success, but a certain level of success. With an artistic intervention, the payoff can be huge if what you do resonates with lots of people. But it can also flop. 
You can get the messaging wrong. You would get the timing wrong. Um, what you thought was a brilliant idea just doesn't work, or it backfires in a spectacular way. You thought this message was going to be this. The message turned out to be something else. And so part of it is is just a risky proposition. And with all risky propositions, things fail. I think the famous um, example is Edison tried thousands of filaments um, in his light bulb before he finally figured out one that works. Well, he had a thousand failures, but he had one really, really brilliant success. Now, that said, we do think, however, you can up the chances of success by engaging in this very creative activity with also a rigorous understanding of how it works and who you're trying to speak to. So one of the things we try to do is get people to think about, again, their audiences. What do you want your audience to think? What do you want them to feel? What do you want them to do? And how might your audience misunderstand what you're saying? Um, and to get people to do a lot of trial and error before they go out and do their big action. Now, what artists do is you don't just sit down and create a masterpiece. You do sketches. Picasso famously did, I think, 47 different sketches of Guernica, like full-scale sketches before he came up with the final Guernica. Um, well, the same thing goes for arts and activism. You shouldn't be working on one protest for three months and then expect it to work. No, you should do a little one. See what worked. See what didn't work. Observe. How did people react to it? Did they react how you thought they would? Did they react in surprising ways that were much better than you thought you would? And kind of each time, change this, change that. Art is really about iterations and sketches, and so is artistic activism. I was completely intrigued um, with the section of the book that illustrated the dark side, and yes. it really brought home how politics very much is intertwined with uh, artistic activism and how Adolf Hitler really used that whole method in what he created and in, in how he created everything. Talk a little bit about that dark side. Sure. Um, you know, when we talk about artistic activism, we're usually talking about and talking to people who are interested in making the world a more beautiful, or more just, more equitable place. Um, but the truth of the matter is, and this is important if you're going to work with artistic activism, is that the most successful artistic activists in the past hundred years were the Nazi party. Um, that from the get-go, as a, you know, a dissident group, and then into state power, they used staging, they used spectacle, they used stories, they used culture. They self-consciously crafted the Nazi party as a cultural expression as much as a political expression. And we have to, those of us who abhor what the Nazis stood for, we have to recognize that this stuff can be used by very unsavory people and is all around. Um, just take, for example, the recent election of Donald Trump. Um, Donald Trump was brilliant as a someone who understood how to use culture and how to express himself um, in cultural forms and use cultural mediums. Um, and so what do we do at that point? One, one reaction is to run away from this stuff and say, this is too dangerous. We can't... We, work with it. Besides, look at these fascists and these dictators and these horrible people that use um, sort of an artistic approach to politics. Um, if you do that, however, you may stay safe, but you've deeded a huge terrain of political life 
over to the other side, to the dark side. And so we counsel something different, which is to figure out how to use it, but, and this is a very important, to use it ethically. And I'll give you kind of an example of that, which is it's very easy to mobilize people around fear. Um, in fact, it's probably one of the easiest things to do is trigger the emotion of fear and then get people to sign on to your program and platform based on that. Um, but is that ethical if the world you don't you want to create is one that's based on love? We would say, no, it's not that the ends do actually, the means actually do have to match up to the ends. And so we would counsel, no, it's a little bit harder, but how do you motivate people based on love and hope as opposed to fear? Um, we were brought in by uh, international um, environmental group, for example, to work on this very problem is that they found that most of their messaging was around dystopia, about what would happen when the environment collapsed. And they were really concerned that what they weren't doing was giving out a message of hope about the world that they wanted to bring into being. So we're really interested in utopias. Um, we're really interested in using the arts, which are very good at this, at envisioning the world we want to bring into being, and then coming up with artistic activist tactics which are in line with that vision. And that means thinking ethically about everything we do. Once you've developed a code of ethics, synchronizing your practice with your ethics will, to a degree, take care of itself. You have our values, and no matter what structure or method we use, we are not likely to act against those values. If we highly value honesty, we are less likely to lie to people. It's just not something that would occur to us as a choice of action. Except that in daily life, things get messy. We rarely presented with clear-cut ethical decisions. Rarely, for example, will someone appear by your side and ask, would you prefer to tell the truth or a lie? <laughs> Planning new pieces can be exciting, and we can easily become obsessed with technical and logistical details and getting things done while ethical concerns fall by the wayside. To avoid this, we must periodically and self-consciously check our plans against our values. To create ethical pieces, we need to constantly remind ourselves of our ethical code. This is from the book, The Art of Activism, your all-purpose guide to making the impossible possible. I invite you to look up the Center for Artistic Activism. You can go to c4aa.org and find out more about the work that they do, about Steve Duncombe, Steve Lambert, uh, along with the book and the workbook so that you can begin moving into your steps of art and activism that allow your heart to express and allow your spirit to dive into the areas and the causes that you most wish to stand behind. Thank you, Stephen. Steve, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. It has been a pleasure. I appreciate your work and so thrilled to have you. And thank you so much for having us on or having me on to talk about our book. Absolutely. Until next week, I am Simran. In love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality. Your heart to greater compassion and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.